Anyone in here like to play cards? A few of you? I'm not like a, a huge card player, but I do enjoy the occasional round of Texas Hold'em poker. Now in Texas Hold'em, you're given two cards, like right off the draw, and there are three more that are eventually drawn in kind of a common play that every person can use. Now, the first card drawn is the flop. Now maybe you were dealt a good hand, let's say you got a pair of queens. And if the flop doesn't benefit you, you can still stay in. And then there's the turn, that's the second card in the common draw. And finally, there's the river, which is the proverbial cards on the table moment where you have to make your last bet and then put your cards down. But it's the turn, that second one, that has always fascinated me. For in the turn, I think most poker games have been won or lost. It is the moment before the moment, the penultimate confrontation that separates the wheat from the chaff. That's when you have to decide if you're going to stay in or not, if your hand is good enough. Now up to this point, maybe you've made a big investment, but you can still get out if the other cards are not in your favor. And now on the turn, it's time to live or die. The turn could also be a phrase used to discuss a change in the story's narrative. Now, up until now, you may have been reading a book and getting to know character A really well. Let's, let's call him Bob. Now, Bob is the protagonist of the story. He's been dealt the proverbial good hand. He's happy. He loves life. Whatever. And then on the flop, a change happens. And Bob reacts to that as Bob will, but mostly it, it doesn't make the story that much more interesting. But then comes the turn. And that's why you're reading the story. Maybe Bob is accused of murder. Maybe he's cheating on his taxes. Maybe he just stumbled upon a Hitchcock-like conspiracy to destroy the planet. Either way, Bob has a decision to make. And from that decision, there's no going back. Jesus is at the point of the turn in his story. He is coming off the raising of Lazarus, which would be the final miracle in John's gospel. It is his most audacious miracle, and one that earns him the total scorn of the legalists who seek to persecute him. When Lazarus is given new life, Jesus gets his life put on notice. The pericope from today's text frustratingly cuts off at verse 8, so I'm going to read you the redacted verses. This happens right after. When the great crowd of the Judeans learned that he was there, they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death as well, since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and we're believing in Jesus. Jesus' ministry has always had consequences. And now, a week before the Passover, a week before Holy Week, now the bill has come due. This is when it's not fun to ask, what would Jesus do? Because from that very moment he popped up on the scene in John's Gospel, he's told anyone within breathing distance exactly what he would do, that he was going to die. So we know what he's going to do. But do we want to face it? 
And when the turn comes in our lives, do we want to say, oh yeah, I'll gladly deny myself, take up my cross, and follow you, Jesus? Or moreover, do we want to be honest with ourselves and admit that the Son of God was a failure, and that his moment of glory when the river, the final card was laid out, was not the crown of gold, but a crown of thorns, a cross for a throne? Jesus could have avoided all of that, but he decided not to. And we will read about the consequences of those actions starting next week. Another person who understands this is Mary, one of Jesus' closest companions. Lazarus is Mary's brother, and Mary is grateful for what Jesus has done for her family. But even more so, when you read the story of Lazarus' resurrection, you see the faith she has in believing that Jesus could have prevented his death before it happened. Mary knows what is going to happen to Jesus, even if his disciples do not want to believe it. And she was preparing him to die in a way that culturally was the highest act of service one could do, the washing of his feet. Yet instead of serving Jesus, which was Martha's job as she prepared the meal, she is instead prophesying to what is about to befall him. Her act is a living response to the turn in Jesus' story. He is going to Jerusalem to meet his end, and she is going to go with him as his disciple. As Lutherans, we do not subscribe to decision theology. You do not accept God into your hearts by making a public declaration to Christ or by praying the sinner's prayer. Your baptism and your faith are good enough. Yet on the way, you will be pushed on your faith. You will be tried. The turn in your life will come. And in those moments, you must ask yourself not, what would Jesus do? Jesus did not live in 21st century America. But you must ask yourself, what did Jesus do on the way to the cross? When the turn of the story came in Jesus' life, what did he do then? What did his followers do then? Did they follow him to the foot of Golgotha as Mary and Martha did? Or did they flee as the eleven did for fear of arrest? Try as the church historically has, we cannot strip the sting of the cross and we cannot pretend that Jesus did not do things that actively put him in harm's way. There are two schools of thought in this regard, a theology of the cross and a theology of glory. Mary anointing Jesus for burial in a way that is prophetic is the theology of the cross. Judas making an excuse for the poor that even he himself did not believe is a theology of glory. Our Messiah cannot be separated from the former. He has come to show the world how to love and this is what the world has returned to him. And next week, we will face those consequences together. And we cannot forget that these are the consequences of love. Earlier in John's gospel, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that those who believe in him may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send God's Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. On the turn of Jesus' narrative, 
Jesus chooses love. It is a painful love. It is a costly love, but it is a love for you and for me and for all of God's creation. In every instance where destruction is met, the Son of God chooses love. We have that love and we know that love because of the grace we have been given through our Lord Jesus Christ. In every turn in our story, may we always choose love. Consequences be darned. Amen.